Well, tonight, I'm praying that God will speak to our hearts and use some examples. But first, we're going to talk about Lego. <laughs> you were a Lego kid, weren't you, Nick? I was. I was too, man. Any other, like, Lego kids here? Moses. Some? Moses is? Now, the older guys are like, I used to play with a rock and a stick. That's all we needed in my day. <laughs> Lego? Spoiled kids. <laughs> now my kids are playing with iPads and just doing all kinds of things with it. But, but I was a Lego kid. That was my go-to toy. My mom's here. She's nodding her head. Brent, what do you want for Christmas? Lego. Brent, what do you want for Christmas? Lego. Lego. Always wanted Lego, right? So pretty much every Christmas, I'd get a, a cool Lego set of some kind. And that was my, my highlight. One Christmas, I got the spaceship Lego set. And if you ever had the spaceship Lego set, you'd look at the front and see this like glorious white spaceship that would like light up. And you're just like, whoa, the spaceship Lego kit was the Lego kit. Nick, did you have the spaceship Lego kit? Oh, no, did you want it? Kid. The rich kids? Yeah, well, <laughs> I wouldn't call us rich, but <laughs> I was very pleased that they got us, got me the spaceship Lego kit. And I remember, you know, looking at that thing and thinking, man, like, I can't wait to build this spaceship. But there was one thing about Lego that every kid knew. Now, first of all, the cool thing was you could build all kinds of things, you know, with the Lego, however you wanted. But if you wanted the picture on the front of the box, you had to follow the instructions. If you did not, <laughs> if you tried to build what you saw in the box freestyle, which I tried a few times, invariably it would not quite turn out. You'd get some mutation of what was on the front of the box, but you'd, you'd pretty much never get the real thing. Now maybe the, as an adult you could figure it out, but if you wanted what you saw, you had to follow the instructions, especially for the spaceship Lego. That was a tough one. God gives us pictures of what he wants to build in our lives. But a lot of times to get there, there's instructions he'll give us to follow. And you can be like the kid that says, nah, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to build my own spaceship. And you're going to get some mutated looking ship that probably won't fly. Or you can follow God's instructions. Now, his won't always come in the form of a Lego booklet. In fact, I doubt they'll come in the form of a Lego booklet, but they are in the form of a Bible, much thicker than the Lego booklet, not as much pictures, unless you get the picture Bible, which I also had as a kid. It was awesome. What a great childhood it sounds like I had, hey? <laughs> so let's, uh, let's just ask God to open our eyes tonight and give us some instruction. And Lord, we just pray that you speak to us, for each of us with the things we're facing in our lives, that you'd instruct us in the way we should go whether it's with our family, our work, our walk with you, people we should talk to or minister to, or anything else, just open our hearts and eyes to instruction, direction from you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe if you look throughout the Bible, it becomes very apparent that God is a God who will direct and instruct his people. He'll show you the way to go, what to do how to do it, but you got to be listening. You got to receive instruction, and there's ways 
that we receive that instruction. And in Psalms 32.8, you can just write this down. You can turn there if you want. But Psalms 32.8 is it's a very simple scripture. And uh, it's interesting because it takes place actually when uh, uh, David's talking about some stuff he's going through that wasn't very good. He's talking about transgressions. He's talking about, like, he's having a rough time in this psalm. And then the Lord's basically responding to him. So David's saying, you know, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And in Psalms 32, verse 8, right after that, he's, the Lord's like, you know, replying and says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I believe it is God's strong desire to instruct his people, to direct us, to give us specifics, as it were, of what to do. Um, The definition of instruction, this is like the dictionary definition. This is a really nice, simple one. It says it's something that someone tells you to do. Or it can be a direction or order. Uh, Synonyms for it could be an order, a command, a directive, direction, a decree. Uh, In the computer world, instructions are something you give to the computer that it executes flawlessly. I like this definition, detailed information telling how something should be done, operated, or assembled. (laughs) This one's funny. Advice or information how to do or use something often written in a book or on the side of a container. Sometimes I wish my kids had instructions written on the side that I could just (laughs) reference when needed. There's a lot of voices today trying to tell us what to do, trying to instruct us in the way we should go. Scroll down your Facebook feed if you've got Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, consider yourself blessed. (laughs) I have Facebook, and you scroll through there, and there's people telling you what to eat, what to wear, what to buy, how you should think politically, all kinds of things. It's everywhere. You're constantly bombarded with the world trying to tell you what to do, trying to instruct you, trying to lead you, guide you, so much so that we don't even realize it anymore. I mean, it's everywhere. We're immersed in it. It's in the media. It's part of our culture. And people are hungry to know what to do, where to go with their lives. Well, God's the original giver of instruction, of direction. And uh, I want to talk about a specific example where God gave instruction and it was acted upon. And specifically, giving instruction for victory. I believe when we face things in life, the Lord wants to see us through it wants to see us come out on the other side and win. Because I, I've yet to find an example in the Bible where God gave someone instruction to lose. It's like, okay, I want you to lose. Here's what you do. I have not to find that yet. <laughs> so so let's, uh, let's go to Joshua 5. And it's a longer passage of scripture we're going to read here and then kind of talk about... <clears throat> And a bit of backstory, uh, you know, you got to think of this from Joshua's perspective. So, I mean, he's experienced the departure from Egypt. He's seen all these amazing miracles. 
watched the, you know, the Red Sea get parted, an army get destroyed. He watched this entire like, group of Israelites, and estimates say there's roughly about a million of them with women, children, and everything. Watched them all get to the edge of the promised land. A lot of scholars will say that was roughly a 40-day journey from Egypt to the edge of the promised land. And they made a stop there to, you know, visit God on Mount Sinai. They get to the edge of the promised land. Many of you know the story. They go in and what happens? They spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, we can do this. The 10 other spies say, yeah, it's great, but there's giants. We can't do this. They spend 40 years wandering in the desert. And here they are back again. They finally have actually crossed the Jordan into the promised land. And they actually even have started to eat some of the food in the promised land. But they don't yet have a conquered square foot of land in the promised land. They are about to make their first attack to grab some ground. This is where Joshua starts, or the the chapter that we're going to read. So, their first target is the city of Jericho. They've spied it out. They've sent their scouts. Uh, Again, some of you know the story where Rahab, the harlot, sheltered some of these scouts. And in return, they're going to protect her. God's going to spare her and her family. They've done some very practical things to lay the groundwork to take over this city. But there's one really big problem. There's like 30 or 40 foot high walls between them and the warriors and inhabitants of the city. This is not the age of battering rams or dynamites or dynamite. If battering rams or catapults existed, the Israelites sure did not have them. They're faced with what would be considered then an absolutely insurmountable military obstacle to the promised land. This is like the big stronghold. You'd think God would have started them maybe with some easier targets like, hey, there's like this little undefended village over there. You know, you guys start with that. It's really easy. You should just be able to scare the people away. They're already scared of you. They've heard what happened, what God did in Egypt. Go do that first. No, they're facing a very, very difficult problem. And so this is where the scripture picks up in Joshua 5, verse 13. It says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, actually, sorry, I'm going to go one verse back further, where it says, The manna seized on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Cana during that year. I thought it's interesting that they were living off provision while they were in survival mode. God was providing for them. But now it was time to attack and they needed some instruction on what to do. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no, rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. 
And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground, or is holy. And Joshua did so. Moving into chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the, the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. So God just gave Joshua some really specific instruction, but also some very strange instruction. <laughs> I've kind of wondered why God didn't give them the recipe for dynamite or something, because that would be very useful in their conquest of the promised land. And you know God knew how to make it, you know? Fashion for thyself a vessel of bronze. Goeth onto the hills and mine saltpeter and coal and mix it in these proportions, you know? Like, that'd be a cool way to do it, God. That's not what he did. He gave him some very odd but very specific instruction. And Joshua was at a place where he was, he was at a level of faith where I think God could speak to him to do some pretty amazing stuff. You know, he's speaking to him. This is a guy who is a believer, a guy who's seen God do some great stuff. And, you know, I believe the Lord knew that he was going to receive this instruction and do it. So let's see what Joshua does next. So Joshua, the son of Nun, this is verse 6 called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns blew before the, or before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua said, Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor let your voice be heard nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling at once, then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. So one thing I, I noticed here is, you know, I always used to picture this angel coming to Joshua and talking to him, giving him this instruction. And it says, you know, here it was the Lord speaking to him. For some reason as a kid, maybe it was the picture Bible that made me think this because I'd read it and this is how the picture Bible might have shown it. I always thought, you know, okay, it's like the night before Joshua's chilling and this angel comes to him and says, okay, like, here's what you're going to do. And he's like, oh, cool. Like, yeah. So he sleeps on it and gets up the next day. And, but I was looking at this and I see there's really 
no mention of any time that passes between when Joshua gets the instruction and when he does what God told him to do. It says in verse 5, you know, how God finishes the instruction, says the people go up every man straight ahead. Next verse, so Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, you know, here's what we're going to do. I actually think that Joshua got this instruction, whether it was in the morning, midday, whenever. Maybe he did get it late at night, which makes this even cooler. Because as soon as he got it, he did it. He mobilized thousands of people. He said, let's go. He didn't sleep on it. He didn't wait. He didn't hesitate. It's like, okay, this is the, this is the instruction. We're going to do it fast. He jumped on it. I believe when God tells you to do something and you do it like aggressively and quickly, there's like that extra burst of power that comes with it, that momentum from what God just spoke to you. That word is fresh. You do it and step out. Knowing it's him, Joshua was confident it was him. And he mobilized the entire nation, the mighty men, and they started marching around this, this fortification. So when God give, gave Joshua the instruction, he did it fast. Let's keep reading. Now, verse 12. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord. Well, they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days. It's just a little phrase there, but it says, Now Joshua rose early in the morning. He was like ready to go. They estimate that the walls were maybe about three, four hundred feet wide, maybe wider. They're not really sure. Maybe 15, 1600 feet long. I would guess maximum a couple hours it would take to walk around the wall, probably less. If they circled it seven times on the last day, they would have had to do that in at least one day. So I don't think it took them a long time to circle the wall. Joshua could have got them together at noon and said, everyone have a good lunch? Like, okay, ready? Yeah, let's do this. Okay, shh, no talking, just blowing horns. Let's go. But it says he got up early in the morning and was like, let's do this, first thing. So I said that first thing he did when he got the instruction is he acted on it fast. But I think one other thing he did is he acted on it with passion and intensity, with, I put the word, fervor. Fervor means a, a intense and passionate feeling. So it's interesting because, you know, he acted on it right away, got that momentum, but then, man, he was up early every morning getting the people going, let's do this, following the instruction of the Lord. And then the seventh day comes. On the seventh day, this is verse 15, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under ban. It, is in it and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. 
But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and priests blew trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Not a pretty sight, not politically correct, but this is what they were supposed to do. Joshua said to the two men who spied out the land, go into the harlot's house, bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. The young men who were spies went in, brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. I mean, this is totality. Only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And however Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared, as she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This last step they take there's that fervor and passion as they're like shouting and these walls fall down. And we're talking like countless thousands and thousands of tons of stone just come crashing down. And they charge into the city and conquer. But they don't just stop there. They don't just do it halfway. They annihilate everything. And they burn the city to the ground after they take out the stuff that's the Lord. So the other thing Joshua did, he acted fast on the instruction. He acted with fervor, but he also completed it fully. I'm talking the last cattle. I mean, not a sheep got away. And again, that seems gruesome to us maybe today, but he, he followed these instructions with like a totality and finished it to the fullness. And you got to think what happened when everyone else in the land heard about what the Israelites did, how this city was destroyed. Because he had a lot of battles to fight after this. But boy, the fear of the Lord was on all the inhabitants of that promised land after that. Who could stand against this? Their hearts were melted with fear. But it all came to pass because Joshua followed the instruction of the Lord. He did it fast, he did it with fervor, and he did it completely fully. He didn't stop halfway. Now, some of you know the rest of the story. One person in the camp of Israel took some of the gold. Think of that. One person takes some of the gold and it causes problems for all of them. This one guy stopped, actually stopped them from fully, truly fully following the instruction. Like, with just this tiny little thing. That's, that's a little bit mind-blowing to me. But you know the story, they repented, they turned, and they went on in conquest after conquest after conquest. Joshua following the instruction of the Lord. Now, let's look at the other side of this. What happens when someone receives instruction, but they don't really go for it, or they kind of go for it halfway? Second Kings, verse 13 
2 Kings 13, verses 14 to 19. When Elisha became sick with the illness with which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. He said, Open the window toward the east. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Armenians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Verse 18. Then he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. Then he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. And then Elisha dies. Again, some really strange instruction from the prophet of the Lord. And I got a hand to that king. He did do what the guy said. He did it right there. I mean, what are you going to do? Say no? (laughs) Elisha's there, says, this is what I want you to do. So he shoots the arrow. Then he says, now take these arrows, hit them on the floor. And the guy basically takes them and goes like, thump, thump, thump. Okay, done. Right? You ever see Zootopia, the sloth in the, like, the Department of Motor Vehicles moving slow? And, you know, I'm thinking like this king, this king was a new believer. And the prophet said, smash these arrows on the floor. He'd be like, wham, 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 jumping around, just smashing these things, you know. He'd be going for it. This king's like, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm going to hit him on the floor. There wasn't a fervor there. There wasn't a drive to fully do what God told him to do. Because of that, he didn't fully complete the instructions. Now, in the king's defense somewhat, the prophet didn't say, you know, just keep striking the arrows, like, or strike them seven times. So the king's probably like, hey, man, like, you didn't tell me to, you know, do it this much, but... If he would have done it with that passion and zeal, just strike the arrows, who knows what would have happened. I mean, the prophet says, if you would have stuck, struck six or seven times, basically you would have defeated your enemies. What would have happened if he like struck it 20 times? Who knows? Maybe uh, Israel would rule the world. Like, <laughs> just joking about that last part. <laughs> so, This reminded me of a story uh, a while back. I was a teenager coming here to the Word Church, and uh, actually, Pastor Brownie and Pastor David got some really neat, specific instruction of how we were supposed to do our offerings. And you might have to refresh me, Pastor Brownie, but uh, I believe we used to, did we collect the offerings like with a plate? going up and down the aisles before we started bringing them to the front. I'm trying to remember how we did it before the front. But I remember specifically one service, God gave them instruction. And as far as I know, it was right in that service. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, maybe talked to you before. But they acted quickly on this instruction from the Lord, saying, bring the offerings to the front. And I remember when we started bringing the offerings to the front, You could just feel the presence of God every time you'd come up and put your offering in. And offering 
started becoming one of my favorite times of the service because it was just a very special time to connect with God. And just the simple action of being able to walk up with your envelope, put it in there, was so, it was just empowering. It was exciting. It was something you could do with your faith. It doesn't seem like a big change, but it was the instruction of the Lord. And we still do it to this day. And there's still power in it. Like every time I go up there, I feel God's presence. And that's not an instruction he's given to every church. That's fine. They have their way of doing it. It was so neat because I remember that was an instruction of the Lord that we still do to this day. And it blesses people. Now, we'll look at one more person. Uh, <clears throat> Joseph is an interesting example. So, <clears throat> lots of you know the story of Joseph. And how he was called before the king. This is in Genesis 41. And I won't read the, the entire thing. But uh, basically the Pharaoh calls Joseph and says, I had this dream. And this dream, there was seven really good looking championship cows. And there were seven like bony, sad, you know, skinny cows, ugly cows. He says, uh, you know, then I saw these seven really luscious, fat, beautiful stalks of wheat, and then I saw seven really withered ones come after, and they ate the other nice stalks of wheat, and the weak cows ate the fat cows. And Like, what does this mean, Joseph? And in verse, chapter 41, verse 25, Joseph replies to Pharaoh after Pharaoh tells him the dreams. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears and seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in the land of Egypt and after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it will be severe. And then he says how it was repeated twice, because it's going to happen quick. And this is the cool part. Joseph had instruction from the Lord for Pharaoh. He said, now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. And let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And you see after this then, Pharaoh appoints Joseph to do this. Pharaoh had the instruct, or uh, Joseph had instruction from the Lord for Pharaoh. It was very specific. But here's the cool thing about this instruction. This was not like a crazy bit of instruction, like marching around a walled city and shouting. This was like extremely practical. This was like management advice. This is how you should manage your crops, Pharaoh. 
because God showed them what was coming, but he gave them a really natural solution on how to fix it. He said, save up a fifth of your wheat every year, fifth of your crop every year. And this also is not an instant solution. This was like a 14-year plan that they had to follow. And Pharaoh said, let's do it. So on one hand, you got Jericho, the walls like fall in seven days in grand supernatural fashion. But here, you've got like, okay, uh, here's our management advice. Our numbers are uh, looking good this quarter, but we got to start saving up because the markets are going to crash in about seven years here. And Very practical advice God gives. And kudos to Pharaoh. He followed it. Pharaoh had a discerning and wise heart towards uh, God and towards Joseph because it says that the wise in heart will receive instruction or receive a commandment. So good for Pharaoh because if he hadn't, I mean, his, his whole kingdom would have suffered tremendously. And many of you know that as a result of them saving up this, this crop in the years of abundance and helping the whole region through the famine, it actually directly blessed the house of God too. Very cool stuff. But the action they took really wasn't very supernatural. I thought that was always quite interesting. So when God gives us instruction, sometimes it can be super cool, crazy, like supernatural stuff. There's a lot of times we've been in services where God's instructed us to yell, to praise, to worship, and things have moved and changed. But there's other times where he's instructed us to do some simple practical things. Bring your offering to the front. Uh, places to go out and minister to. You know, all kinds of stories. I heard Pastor David and Pastor Brownie and now Jonathan tell over the years of things that God told them to do. Some of them really supernatural. Some of them practical. And it's the same in our lives. You know, there's all kinds of things God will show us to do, whether it's your job, your family, your, you know, your spiritual walk. He has instruction for all of us. And, you know, I kind of, I, I just thought I'd put together a really simple few points on how we can receive and tap into that instruction. Because some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, great, like, where's my Lego manual? I mean, I want to, <laughs> I see the picture. I want to build this spaceship, but... I don't know how to read the manual. I don't know how to, you know, hear the instruction. Well, there's some, uh, some really simple ways to get that instruction. I mean, it comes down to listening first. You got to want it. Your heart's got to be open to it. I mean, ask God. But if we look at Jesus' life, one very uh, direct way that God will give us instruction is in times of prayer. In Luke 6, verse 12 and 13, It says, It was at that time he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. So, like, have you ever thought what it was like being the guy who didn't make the cut for the 12 apostles, 12 disciples? Because here it's saying, there's more than 12. And Jesus spent a whole night praying about who he was supposed to choose, receiving direction from his father on basically, okay, who are my 12? Who makes the cut, so to speak? And 
He came down the next day and, you know, said, Kate, you, 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 and you. We know the 12 disciples. But it says here, I mean, there was more. In fact, later on, we read about how uh, Jesus was teaching. This is in John 6. He was teaching some things that were hard for people to believe and receive. And it says at that time, a bunch of disciples left. And the 12 stayed. And Jesus looked at them and said, like, okay, are you guys going to leave too? Peter's like, where else would we go? <laughs> You've got the words of life, Jesus. <laughs> right answer, Peter. But it's interesting because he chose those 12 before, you know, all the rest left. God knew. But he got that instruction in prayer. Think of that. I mean, if you own a business, you know, hiring people, finding which clients to go to, where to, where to advertise, who to talk to. Maybe you have cattle and you're trying to figure out which, you know, which breed of cattle you should uh, get into this year. Maybe you want to expand. Uh, you name it. Jesus basically prayed about, okay, who's the team you want for me, God? Where should I go? Who should I, who should I be working with in training? So he got that in prayer. The second way, really obvious, definitely the word of God. We joked how we don't have our like Lego style instruction, but you have like, a, what is this? 1,300, oh, sorry, about 1,200 pages of, of direct instruction right here. One of the first things I learned coming here was this is the word of God. It means what it says. It's the truth. And if it lines up with God's word, you know, that's, that's God's instruction for your life. So any instruction you're receiving, it'll line up with God's word. And in fact, there's a lot of times you'll be reading through his word and something will like come alive to you. You'll be like, whoa, this just hit me in a totally new and exciting way that will directly relate to a specific situation. And you'll be like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. In 2 Kings 22 verses 8 and 13, this is so neat because in this passage, you'll see that uh, the king at that time, they're uh, doing some, basically some like renovations on, on I believe, the uh, temple or an area of Jerusalem. And they find a lost book, which is the scriptures. And uh, these, basically these scribes come to the king it says, hey, Hilakiah, uh, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. This is in verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And basically what happens is they find this book and realize, oh my gosh, we're doing so many things wrong. They were even... They forgot to celebrate the Passover. It says here they reinstitute the Passover after reading this book. So they got all these instructions and they did them. So it's same for us. If we're reading the word. We see things that don't line up. We can change our actions, line up with God's word. And then the other way, and I think this happens a lot more than, uh, than we realize, is other people giving us instruction, giving us helping with direction and counsel course it's got to line up with God's word and witness and prayer but in Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says in an abundance of counselors there's victory the wisest man who ever lived wrote those words in fact that's the man who said to God King Solomon 
He said, God, give me a heart that hears. Give me a discerning heart. If there's anyone who like wouldn't need instruction from anyone else, it'd be the wisest man who ever lived. And yet he's the one who says, in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. You know, I was talking with Pastor Jonathan, and we all know that he's, uh, he's a man of prayer. He's a man of the word of God, a person of tremendous wisdom. And I don't think it's any secret that the church is bursting at the seams with people on Sundays, right? You know, we got to figure out what to do and, you know, solutions for that. I mean, so Jonathan gets a, a great job of, uh, of course, working with people, but trying to figure out what to do. And obviously, you know, he's been praying about it and different things. And, you know, he's shared a few things um, with me here and there as we, we've talked. But the thing that struck me is he was telling me how he'd sit and talk with other ministers. When, you know, you guys were out traveling and ministering, he'd sit for hours and talk with some other ministers who are, have faced or walked through similar, similar situations where they have to expand and grow and, you know, and he's getting counsel from these different people. He's not saying, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just figure this out on my own. He's, he's talking to people, talking to wise people, people who know the Lord, people who've walked through it. And it was just so cool when he shares some of these insights of what, you know, God's showing him through that. Real wisdom. So, you know, if you're facing something, I mean... Talk to some counselors, some wise counselors, not the wrong kinds of counselors, not like Job's counselors where they're, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and just die? <laughs> That's not the kind of counselor you need. <laughs> so, so again, uh, kind of to summarize here, <clears throat> when the instruction of the Lord came to Joshua, he did it fast, he did it with fervor, and he did it fully. Three ways we receive instruction Prayer, the word, counsel with others. And uh, share a little story here before I close. Um, <clears throat> so with my company, we're, we build this product. It's a, it's a glove product for computers. And there's a certain part of the product that's, well, it's basically a thumb tip, especially shaped and designed some thumb tip at has to conduct electricity, it has to do a whole bunch of things, we have to attach it to the fabric, like it's, it's the hardest part of the project. And uh, this last year, so in 20, 2016 and part of 2017, I was working to redesign this thumb tip completely. And I mean, I was spending like months on this thing. We'd make one little change and wouldn't quite turn out. We have to make another change and like, we probably made 40, 50 of these things all different variations, different prototypes. And each time we were making a little progress, you know, here and there, figure something else out. And I'd go back, pray, think about it, sketch something out, try something again. So I was, I was seeking the instruction of the Lord on this thing, right? And each time we'd make a little bit of progress. And that was good. That was God still moving, doing things through me. It was exciting seeing the progress, but would come short and be like, oh man, we're like so close. We peeled another layer away, but now there's these other problems. Finally, after like months and months of working on this thing, finally got it to work. Like how we needed it. Got the finish right, got the, I was like, oh man, that took way longer than I thought. And 
But thank God we finally got it. And that morning, I am praying, and I just feel the Spirit of God speak to me and say, you know, I could have shown you how to do this the first day you started working on this. I was like, yeah, you could have, couldn't have you? You knew. You know, and I, I, I sometimes wonder if I had spent more time, you know, in prayer and even maybe seeking counsel of others, how much quicker could have I got that done, get some more specific instruction? And that's a very practical, uh, specific example, but that was an example very personal to me. This applies to everything in our lives, our jobs, our families, our finances. Someone maybe you should talk to or minister at the grocery store. Um, habits you might want to change, time commitments to make, things you should let go. God's got instruction for all these different areas of our lives as individuals, uh, as families, even as a church body. And I'm just hoping tonight that sharing this word speaking to you about this, it will stir you to seek God's instruction in your life, to hear it more clearly, to follow it fast, to follow it with fervor, and to do it fully. So I pray that we'd all receive instruction on the victory. Amen.